even when women haven't connected it to their hormones. The number one shift in perimenopause starts with body composition. And women start to chase shiny objects and engage in punitive behaviors, eating less, eating plant-based, lots of cardio, et cetera. And unfortunately, they're actually making it worse. So you ask like, what can we be doing? We're gonna say, don't do those things. Welcome to This Is Aging, a podcast on a mission to explore the upside of getting older. We're your hosts, Dana Schultz and Melissa Reeves, two friends approaching midlife who are fed up with anti-aging culture and refuse to believe that life was all downhill after 40. We believe life can get better with age and we're here with the stories to prove it. Join us and our inspiring guests as we flip the aging narrative on its head and trade fear for curiosity and celebration. This is a don't miss episode. We have been following Kristen and Maria from Wise and Well on Instagram for a while and are just amazed by their knowledge, their capacity to really break down what happens in perimenopause and in midlife for women. They have so much experience working with women who are in this stage of life. If you are in or approaching midlife and want a functional way to think about what's happening in your body the changing hormones, potentially whether or not you should be considering HRT, hormone replacement therapy, and also want to receive that information in a way that isn't fear-based, this is the episode for you. So get a pen and paper, get ready to take notes. You are in for a ride. And today's episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Plant People. Plant People creates regenerative mushroom and plant supplements for sleep, for stress, for cognition, recovery, immunity, a lot of things that we're actually talking about in this episode today as being so important to these midlife transitions. I have been absolutely loving their products. They have a variety of gummies that are for these different aspects of our wellness. My kids have been loving the Wonder Greens gummies, which are so tasty and full of vegetables, greens, those sorts of things. I've been loving the Wonder Focus, which, you know, in times like these, Most of us are wondering, do I have ADHD or is it my smartphone? Well, this has actually really been helping me focus. I notice that I'm just able to come back to the task at hand a lot more readily and not be as distracted. So go to plantpeople.co slash this is aging to shop on their site. Right now they have an amazing Black Friday deal, 30% off site wide. So if you listen to this episode around when it launches before Thanksgiving, use that. Otherwise, you can use our code This Is Aging for 15% off all of the time. Thanks so much for listening and supporting the show. Welcome to This Is Aging. This week, we have a couple of amazing guests that we have been pretty fan obsessed over the last few months as we have been following them online and learning so much from them about midlife women's health, hormones, all of the good things that I know so many of our listeners are excited about. We have Kristen and Maria from Wise and Well. Kristen is a functional nutritionist with advanced training in holistic nutrition, as well as a specialty in perimenopause and menopausal health. And Maria is a functional health coach with a specialty in perimenopause and menopause. They both have a ton of other credentials to their names that we could go on and on about. Um, (laughs) Together, they founded Wise and Well where they work one-on-one and in groups with women focusing on perimenopausal and menopausal health to create fundamental hormonal and whole life health transformation. So welcome, Maria and Kristen. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. Happy to have you guys. Thank you. Can we start by asking you both your age? Are you willing to share that? 
Yeah, not a problem. I'm 53, <laughs> almost 53 and a half. Okay. I'm 55. Okay, awesome. What would you say your current relationship to aging is in in this grand journey of midlife? I'm, I'm so here for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't know, Marie and I have talked about this a lot. I think there is um not to get vulgar, but I think there's kind of a give no Fs uh approach that you can bring to aging. Um, in terms of we've just we've seen a lot, we've done a lot, we've earned our wrinkles and we've, you know, earned our tears and we've earned our smiles and everything else. And um, we're just not going to hear to make a lot of apologies for what's to come. We're kind of excited for it. We're unburdened to a large degree. I mean, as moms, you're always burdened a little bit, but you know, the big rocks have gone away and um, this is just a time for us to enjoy life and come into our own and celebrate with our partner and yeah, live it large. Amazing. I would say, I've always said that Kristen and I share so many important values, uh, we hold them in kind, right? And that's so awesome. I don't think we would be in business together if we didn't. Um, there's, having said that, I think maybe I might have a slightly different, but just slightly different, you know, uh, take on it. And that is, I, there's a lot I like about aging. And I think most of what I like about aging um, kind of focuses around, I, I just feel peaceful, right? And I think it kind of goes to that, just don't give any Fs anymore. <laughs> and I think that's actually really amazing because I think, you know, and it's kind of in some ways goes to more robust levels of hormones. When you're younger, you're, you're really in very much people pleasing mode. Um, mm-hmm. And not that I'm not that I think we're we're both not not in people pleasing mode. We still want to please people, but it's different. Um, so there's yeah. this peacefulness and this kind of emotional regulation I really like about aging. Do I like skin changes? Do I like having to color my hair every, you know, whatever interval I choose? Not really. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, I don't try not to focus on those things too much. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I look at those things and think if I had to go back to the time of no hair color, you know, tight skin, all those good things, it just reminds me of my 30s. You couldn't pay me enough money to go back to my 30s. So that's where I'm <laughs> kind of like, you know, just if this is what it is. And I think as a, I mean, I was, I was a daughter of a fighter pilot. My brothers were fighter pilots. I've raised three sons. Maria's raised four sons. I don't mean this in a bad way, but sometimes as the, the chick in the room, you can kind of get dismissed or like, I used to joke that my kids found like making fun of mom was almost a sport, right? And they were all Olympians (laughs) in that sport. So, um, but I look at it now, it's just like, go ahead and underestimate me. Go ahead and (laughs) underestimate me as a 50 something woman right? Because this is just a time where I'm like, I'm going to surprise you. And I'm having a hell of a lot of fun figuring out how great this can be. So yeah, I'll, I'll take the hair color if it means I don't have to go back to my thirties. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I can relate wow. to that. I'm, I'm 37. So I'm feeling like plenty of what the fuck moments. <laughs> like, where is my what? life going? What's the point? But I, I, we need more stories like that of, of women really embracing where they're at in midlife, especially because it can be to some women from the perspective of in their 20s and 30s, there can be a bit of trepidation and fear around what is after 40. It just is like a murky graveyard of what ifs and I don't knows and um, fear of invisibility. And so it's wonderful to hear that you're owning it. And um, did you, was there a certain point that did you have a certain point in your aging process where you just felt like you didn't give a fuck anymore or was it more gradual? There was something magical about turning 50, to be perfectly honest, because I think there is so much fear around it and everyone wants to make a big deal. 
And I'm like, this is awesome. I mean, I took a bunch of, I, I turned 50 in the middle of COVID. So like no community, you know, no friendships around crappy time of life because we had just found out we were moving across the country. My last born had just left the nest. Like I could have had all sorts of existential crises over that. Right. And I was like, called up a bunch of girlfriends. And this was during the phrase of COVID where everyone was like, we shouldn't travel. We shouldn't do these things. And I was like, we're going to Sedona. We're going to hike big ass mountains. And we're going to have a blast. And it was just so much fun to just kind of be like, this is part of it. I earned 50. That's why mm. I loved it. You know, I felt like I earned it. And so I definitely had a distinct give no Fs moment right about then. <laughs> Maria? <laughs> a bit more gradual for me. And I would say I probably started for me at 40. I just noticed it was just a seismic shift in the way I evaluated many things from my time to how I spend my money to what I want to do. Um, it's probably at its peak expression right now, I would say. The giving zero Fs peak expression. Yeah, yeah just yeah. feeling the sense of like peace. And I, it's not like smug. It's just like, I, I, I know what I want. I know what makes me happy. I know what I don't want. I know what I need. I know what I don't need, um, you know, for the most part. And I kind of execute on those things. So, yeah. yeah, we don't have a problem kicking to the curb anything that doesn't fit into the paradigm we're in right now which is very freeing. Mm -hmm. It's kind of um, exciting that people like you exist because it's not a subject that I think a lot of people are aware of. I personally am still grappling with a, the a succinct definition of what perimenopause even is. <laughs> so I, I assume it came from a great need and desire on your end to have more resources for women in your uh, situation. Yeah, I was um, probably about 42, 43, and I, I just palpably and emotionally more palpably I guess physically felt changes in my body and they they just didn't feel good so I sought out I had always been kind of somewhat holistically minded so I sought out um, a renowned doctor on Park Avenue in New York City um, and it was an interesting appointment but I don't know that it really in the end it didn't really help me um, just I had a battery of ridiculously priced tests and just so many supplements. And interestingly, he put me on hormone replacement therapy at 43. I did it for a while, but I had zero support, absolutely zero. And um, I ended up quitting and I'm not necessarily against, you know, HRT at that age. It's, most women may need to start at that age, actually, uh, but ended up putting prescribing clonopin for me as well. I got addicted to that. I was able to wean myself off. And um, then I just, I, at around that time, I said, oh, there has to be something better. So I put myself back to school and I have <laughs> been studying for 12 years now. Yeah. Maria and I think there's something magical about 43, if we're totally <laughs> honest. And I was not holistically minded. I was full blown. Give me all the conventional everything. I was corporate attorney in my earlier life. And so, you know, I liked kind of the structure and rigidity of that conventional medicine offered. Um, and I was living out in Boston and just like Maria, there things were just not right. And I couldn't figure out, was it my diet? Was it my training? Was it, you know, genetics or whatever? My mom had gone through surgical menopause at 32, literally in my birth. Um, she gave birth to me by C-section, was taken over to the next room and had everything taken out. So, um, I didn't have a great benchmark for what this was in my forties because she started it, you know, decade before that went to my very trusted doctor and she just completely gaslit me and said, there's nothing wrong with you. You're too young for there to be anything wrong. I was so desperate. I'm like, 
do I have mold? Could it be Lyme? Like what something is wrong. And she finally looked at me and she said, you've been here like six times in the last six months. Stop. You're, you're like making a problem out of this. And so I got mad. I mean, that was really my motivation was like, I'm not dumb and I work really hard for my health and not everything was working. So something was off. And so just like Maria said, screw it, I'm going back to school. And, you know, then I think two of us were practicing separately, but you start to attract the same type of women that you are, right? Or the same type of clients. And so then we're suddenly seeing these people who are dealing with similar stuff and we're like, okay, you know, this is a huge shift that's happening demographically. We got information, that's great, but we need to be able to give it to others. And so, you know, Maria was a little bit ahead of me in terms of the years got started in her specialized training. Then I added it on with her. And then the two of us just came together and said, like, this work is tough. It's it's really tough to be in the trenches with women in midlife. And, you know, there's a, a huge boon in this market, so to speak, even in the messaging of coaching and whatnot. And that's great. But not a lot of the people who are now messaging on it have actually been swimming in this water that long. And Maria and I have been in it for over a decade. And now, you know, we've probably seen over a thousand women clients just in the last few years. And we feel really like kind of emboldened by what we've done to learn and how we've helped women and debunking a lot of the noise and a lot of the very superficial messaging that's out there right now. Yeah. Can can you, can you start by coming back to Dana's question and really defining what perimenopause is for us and our listeners. Think back to geometry. So peri just being the time around menopause. Um, So the clinical definition of menopause is 12 months without a period, right? So it's the anywhere from two to maybe 10 years. I think 10 years is probably a little bit long. It's probably more like four years um, prior to the final menstrual period. Mm-hmm. all it is. It's defined by changes. It's defined by fluctuating hormones. It's defined by a shit ton of people talking about hormone balance, which drives us crazy. There is no such thing as... <laughs> or estrogen dominance. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, I'd love to hear more about that because that is something that I have read about and seen online and, you know, even in some of the approaches to women's health that I have oriented towards, there has been discussion of these hormonal imbalances like estrogen dominance or low progesterone, these kinds of things. So can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah. I mean, estrogen dominance and it's, it's true term means you're overproducing estrogen. That's what it's really talking about is that you've got estrogen out of whack of its normal level. There are times throughout our cycle where we are supposed to be estrogen dominant in terms of its relationship to progesterone. Um, so in perimenopause and just the whole menopausal transition, estrogen's on its downward slope. There are times where it's bouncing around, but even when it's bouncing around, it's still lower than it was at your peaks premenopausally. So that's why we get very frustrated that estrogen dominance is just a very poorly used term as it applies to midlife. Um, in terms of hormone balance, again, anyone worth their salt should be able to pull up a menstrual cycle and look at what your hormones are doing. Show me a moment in time in a 28-day cycle when our hormones are in balance. They're not in balance. What does that even mean? Can anyone who talks about it define what it means? And I would say no. Right. We had someone recently who said, well, you guys are kind of taking this to task. Um, It's not that we mean they're equal or whatnot, but it's the ratio. And I'm like, okay, great. That will take your word for it. Again, 
at what point in those 28 days do we have a sustained ratio, fixed ratio of estrogen to progesterone? It changes every single day. So these women who at 44 are being told the seed cycle in order to, you know, balance their hormones makes Maria and I just want to like have our heads explode because that's <laughs> a fool's errand. It's, it's completely not, you know, it's making a woman feel as though she's not doing something that she could be doing in order to suddenly bring some harmony to her hormones. That's not possible in midlife. Unfortunately, it's like hallmark characteristic is to have wildly fluctuating, not following a cycle that it used to follow hormones. So chasing that down with dominance and balance and words like that are just really disingenuous. Yeah. It reminds me of some of the things that I have learned about the onset of menstruation in adolescence being similar in some ways to perimenopause in that the yep. cycle is establishing itself and those quote unquote balances are all over the place. And that's actually yeah. really normal. That is not a sign that there's something wrong in the adolescent body. And then now the same thing is happening on the other end as the body begins to sort of cycle its its way down. And I'm, so I'm well, curious then- the connection, yeah. Yeah, so I, I'm curious then for someone that might be listening to this that's in their 20s or 30s, just so that we can kind of frame the information that you're sharing right now into that larger picture. For someone that is pre-midlife and hasn't entered or isn't nearing menopause, is the term estrogen dominance- a real thing in that stage of life or yeah. Okay. It, it has more to do with, um, xenoestrogens, estrogens. There could also be some expression of estrogen metabolites in the body that can kind of leave a feeling of estrogen dominance. So we can, we could recirculate our hormones. So a lot of these girls, you know, poor gut health, not pooping regularly, bad liver health, you know, it just kills us. We see girls like on the pill, partying hard, wasted on weekends, eating crap food on, you know, to make up for it, et cetera. And then they're like, oh, my hormones. I'm like, it's not your hormones, it's you. You know, what you could be doing here. It's like that Taylor so, Swift song, I'm the problem, it's me. <laughs> it's me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. I guess all of my food choices affect my hormones. Whoops. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then how does that translate to midlife? Because you also said that you don't want women feeling like there's something that they should be doing that they're not. So as we're going through midlife, and, and we'll bring this back around to talking about HRT and, and things like that, because I think that's really, really valuable for our listeners. But let's just kind of wrap up this piece. I, I would love to hear from a lifestyle and diet perspective, what is important during these midlife years where we can't expect our hormones to be quote unquote in balance, but just like in our 20s and 30s, the things that we consume and the way that we live our lives is going to affect our health. So what would be important to focus on in, say, your late 40s or early 50s as you're on this journey and maybe even earlier? Yeah. Okay. So first first thing, and, and we can punt this to later, but first thing would actually really be to learn about your HRT choices before you think you need them. Okay. Um, and then the second thing is, so we, we can and should do certain things. We want women to realize though, that like the things like seed cycling and buying expensive hormone balance supplements are not it. Okay. But the things that are, it is going to be fitness, like build, build muscle while you still have, well, you can, <laughs> um, get your optimal protein in, make sleep a priority. Those three things. Rest. I'm 
Yeah. Work on stress. Yeah. Work on your stress. I, we, you know, Maria and I hopefully are going to get some free time soon to go back to some content production. And one of the biggest things we really want to dial in on is the stress because I think it's been very misunderstood in terms of how deeply it affects our whole endocrine system. So these girls with thyroid dysfunction, with hormonal dysfunction, et cetera, there's a lot of anxiety in this world. This younger generation is definitely struggling with kind of just a, a weightier sense of the world. And I think, you know, we can blame it in large part on social media and this proliferation of like always viewing the lives of everyone around us and self-comparison and FOMO and all of that stuff. And it's super unfortunate, but it's not going away anytime soon. And so we have to figure out how to mitigate it, right? And I think in the 40s in particular, if you have had children and you have a partner and or a career, the 40s is like ground zero for stress. It is just chock full of a rough period of life. It can be great and it's dynamic and everything else. But as a woman, as Maria said, we're caregivers, right? And so we're caring for these people that we're helping raise. We're caring for this loved one that we have in our life. We might be caring for aging parents, and then we may be caring for a career. And you add up all of that and we internalize it because I think as women, we persist. We're just absolutely going to figure out a way to make it to the end of the day, wake up the next day and do it all over again. And that's great. And we've wrapped it in, you know, fun words like hustle culture and all these different things, but it's taking a toll. It's incredibly catabolic on the body. Marie and I always bounce around like, is sleep more important or stress more important? Well, if you're stressed, you can't sleep. But if you're asleep, you can't, you're underslept, you can't handle stress, right? And so we have these big rocks and that's why we say it all has to get dealt with, you know, but I think one of the things we see the most in terms of those lifestyle foundations is even when women haven't connected it to their hormones, the number one shift in perimenopause starts with body composition. And women start to chase shiny objects and engage in punitive behaviors, eating less, eating plant-based, lots of cardio, et cetera. And unfortunately, they're actually making it worse. So you ask like, what can we be doing? We're going to say, don't do those things. <laughs> do everything Maria just listed, even if you feel like your body's changing, because uh, trust us, if you can invest in the muscle building, getting good diet with like robust calories, not starving yourself, all of those things, it's going to pay off in your late 40s. And that's the biggest thing we see a lot of women kind of missing the boat on, making it worse. And what is the difference in terms of protein versus carbs and its effects on the body and the hormones specifically? Yeah, no, uh, that's a great question. So when women lose their estradiol, okay, there's really no such thing as estrogen. It's estradiol that we're talking about. Um, We just lose that finely tuned ability to take, use the glucose from the carbs efficiently and effectively. I mean, we can still have some, but like women really have to grapple with the fact that they have to reduce the carbs and they have to be, you know, high quality. The loss of estrogen absolutely affects that. Yeah. And and they can't just reduce the carbs. They need to replace it with something. This is why we see women go so low calorie. Right. Um, But, you know, estradiol is affecting your gut microbiome. Your gut microbiome also affects how well you can handle and process carbohydrates. So we've got this kind of double assault going. Insulin absolutely works together with estradiol to signal where to put fat. It's why we as women tend to get it around our hips and buttocks when we're nicely replete with estrogen because that's a female figure and estrogen's telling insulin store the fat there. So you lose that estrogen, guess what? We get bellies like men, right? And so 
getting women to understand that this loss of hormones does necessitate a change in your eating habits is a big thing to buy off on. We understand that. It's not about, oh, low carb's great. And when we hear women say, I went low carb and it throttled my thyroid. I went low carb and I lost hair. Every time we can say, you went low carb and you didn't replace it with protein and you ended up under eating. That's why you hurt your thyroid. That's why you hurt your hair loss, everything else. Um, so we have that, but then also just aging alone, 30, 35 years old, you're starting to lose muscle. Muscle is more than just getting you up off out of bed, right? It's more than locomotion. It's actually a huge reservoir and sink for glucose. So as that muscle is declining, guess what? So is that reservoir size. Your capacity for even storing glucose is going down. So you've got the gut changes, the estrogen changes, the insulin signaling loss, and now this loss of muscle. It's a huge smack upside the head for a lot of women. And we understand why they pursue the interventions they do. It's just getting them to understand that you're actually going to make it worse. Um, and it's a really vicious circle. Yeah. And in a culture like you've described, where we are so prone to comparing ourselves to others and we see all of the women on Instagram that by the standards that we're holding ourselves to look fitter than us and look thinner than us and look like they're aging more gracefully than us. It's alarming. And we've talked to other guests that have mentioned, which you just mentioned as well, that this time of life, midlife, is actually a time where women become more punitive with themselves. It's a time where yeah. eating disorders are triggered, where you know, maybe if you had an eating disorder when you were younger, it gets re-triggered, or perhaps you never even did. And now suddenly you are treating your body very punitively. It's, it's a it's definitely a slippery slope, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, we get it. Maybe it's because we're older moms, but we're like, we want to take all these girls in their 30s and 40s and say, look, what you're seeing on the internet is not real. They're not telling you that in addition to their 40, I only strength train four days a week and they do five days of cardio and they're eating low fat and they may have no sex life with their spouse because they're, they're completely depleted <laughs> and they're losing their hair and their thyroid is for crap. We unfortunately see it because we're getting their intake. We're getting their clinical tests. And we've had some of these sort of influencer types that look amazing. I mean, Marie and I would love to look some of the ways that these women do, yep. but then we flow back on, we're not willing to kind of do what it takes to have that body because it would disrupt traveling to Norway and Italy this year for the two of us. You know, like how are these people maintaining this all the time? And we just all know from physiology, it's not healthy or safe to be that lean all the time. So how much are you really seeing that's real? Um, and that's just the whole social media piece. It's such a double-edged sword, you know? We love it yeah. because it helps us get a message out, but it's also really messing with women's minds. So yeah. can you drop us in a little bit to your lived experience of the start of perimenopause and what those symptoms specifically were? Because uh, at this point in my life, I'm not quite sure. I've heard some stories, but I'd love to hear your personal experiences of what what are some of those hallmark um, symptoms that women should should be aware of? So for me, it was mood and sleep issues, primarily mood and sleep. I would say primarily mood. <laughs> um but, you know, other symptoms that tend to be common, peri-symptoms. So there's a lot of physical symptoms. Um, hot flashes are common. I, I never had hot flashes. I had one hot flash. It was when I showed up at the Austin airport a day late for my flight. So that gave me a hot flash. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I really messed this one up, hon. I definitely had a hot flash. But other than that, like literally no hot flashes. But anyway, so cycle changes. So cycle can get shorter or longer. 
Um, sometimes, sometimes vaginal dryness, sometimes mood issues. Anxiety is a huge one, actually. Um, and how let Kristen take over with her peri symptoms? Yeah, so I uh, got duped a little bit because I was given my at 32 years old. Um, I had my last baby at 32, and about six months after he was born, uh, I knew something had to change. I was completely psychotic, and I don't mean this thing that lightly. My husband was legitimately calling every cycle time, like, hide the knives phase in the house. He would just quietly take the kids on to go get donuts, and we would leave mommy to rant and be a psychopath. Um, so I was given the Mirena because I was given the option of tricyclic antidepressants or an IUD. Took the IUD and I will give it credit. It changed my life. Now it's changed my life because it completely essentially took over the feedback loop between my brain and my ovaries. And that wasn't, you know, a good thing long-term, but in the short term, it worked great. Problem was, is I was still starting to lose my hormones. And by 43, I did have severe vaginal dryness. And when you have severe vaginal dryness, you don't want to have sex. And when you don't want to have sex, your partner's looking at you like, do you not love me anymore? Is this that time at our marriage where suddenly it's the change, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So then you get very defensive. And I was feeling the mood stuff. I definitely felt dysregulated in terms of controlling the intensity of my highs and my lows. And it was almost, I remember it was like, being up in the sky, looking down on myself. I was aware of the fact that I was wildly out of line in terms of proportion to what life was giving me versus my response to it, but I couldn't fix it. I couldn't control it. And so that's scary. But throws a woman off her balance when she's like, I'm aware that everyone around me thinks I'm a nut job. I think I'm a nut job too. And I don't know what's wrong. So that was scary. Um, for me, sleep, I lost my sleep. I literally look at my forties as the decade of no sleep. Maria knows to this day, I am so wildly protective of my sleep. Um, and I've worked hard to kind of rehabilitate it because I think when you lose it, it becomes almost a cognitive behavior trait that you can't shake, right? You're just like, I'm a bad sleeper. I didn't want to take that on. Um, but I didn't have the cycle changes because I had a Mirena. So I didn't know that these were all those things. I look back now, it's like my breast size went from like a B plus C to a double A. Okay. Little known fact, ladies, some of us lose our breasts when we lose our estrogen because estrogen provides the shape and the curvature and the fullness of the breast tissue. They just turn to fat and droop at that point. Um, so there are all these little things. And when you feel that your physical appeal is changing and you don't feel like having sex with your husband because it's not fun and it hurts, um, you do start to wonder, oh my God, did I fall out of love with him? Maybe I just am like ready to light a match to my life and burn it all down. And that's really scary. Um, and that's where I knew something was up. So for me, it was probably a little less traditional. I would say the brain fog was the other thing. I've been a corporate attorney. I raised three kids while I was practicing law. Like I pride myself on my multitasking capability and my cognitive skills. I could not get my way out of a box. I needed a list to tell me where to go to find the next list to tell me what to do. That was weird. That was something that was new to me. And I think we find that a lot with women, that brain fog and that just like, I can't remember anything. I walk into a room and I don't know why I'm here. So I didn't have the hot flashes. I didn't have a lot of the traditional things and I didn't have a cycle to guide. Me. So it was a lot of stuff where you just started to wonder, like, am I just losing it? You know? Yeah. Not to make it sound incredibly appealing to head into parents. <laughs> So well, what if I, I relate yeah. to nine out of 10 of those things? <laughs> I No, I think in a way it's good. I think that growing awareness of what that season of life can look like, not that it 
absolutely will for every woman, but just to have some sense of a roadmap or um, an idea of what might occur would make you hopefully feel less alone, less crazy, and that people like yourselves are out there supporting women, offering resources and helping guide them through that, that season of life. There's two reactions to this information. There's the reaction of, oh, shit, I don't want to get older because that sounds terrible. And there's the reaction of recognizing some of the ways in which even the two of you were perhaps out of sync with some of the information that would have helped and the support that would have helped you get through it and realizing that that's is possible and available to women if we are educated and if we have support. It doesn't have to be a total nightmare. Yeah, it doesn't have to. I'd say the other piece is that there's something about those 40s where, you know, we've all, it's like we come out of college and we're in our 20s and we're like aspirational about who we're going to become. And then 30s, we're like really working hard to kind of make that our thing. And we're kind of proud of it. And then 40s, we're kind of looking back on our life. And we're like, I did it. Like, life is good. And it's really vulnerable for a woman to have to reach out to a friend and say, I feel like I'm losing my grip on stuff. Something is wrong. Because that 40s, we're supposed to have our shit together. And I think that's a lot of pressure for women. And so sadly, we come into a time where what you just said, we need community and we actually go insular, right? And if we do share community, what I find and see around me is it's the mommy wine nights. It's the book clubs that turn into bitch sessions, right? And, and it's not helpful. It's not a good sort of cathartic way of saying, hey, this is going on with me because no one wants to admit that they're having trouble in their relationship because their vagina is dry, right? And so this is the time where, unfortunately, we tend to internalize it. We, we hit those 40s. We're supposed to be who we thought we were becoming. And we need a lot of pressure on ourselves to kind of maintain that facade. And women aren't reaching out to one another. And I think talk therapy can be great. Sometimes, though, what we see right now in a lot of these peri circles is a lot of victimization of this stage of life. And it's this, you know, revolt against the patriarchy and it's, I'm not hormonally deficient. Don't you dare call me deficient. You know, these sorts of things that were like, why does it have to be any of that? None of us are going to get to death without going through menopause. So stop making it sound like it's something that's happening, you know, against our will um, and that we need to kind of just lay down and white knuckle it. So. So is this where hormone replacement therapy enters the chat? Is this your principal uh, antidote <laughs> to perimenopause? It's one. It's it's not. It's our optimizer. It's an okay. optimizer, meaning yeah. um, Kristen has coined the term, the phrase, it's magic, but it's not a magic pill. So it works in conjunction with several other things, well, the lifestyle stuff. But yes, it's it's incredibly helpful. And there are a lot of women, I probably would count myself among this crowd, that they do all of the lifestyle stuff and they are still struggling a lot. So that's why we are pretty loud and just in, in your face, so to speak, about HRT. And since we don't prescribe, we, we feel like, you know, we, we can do that, right? Because we're not like, we don't prescribe. So yeah, yeah we're not beholden to any Medical organization that yeah. has deemed whether it's safe or not safe, right? And I think Ray and I were recently at a um, medical conference with all these doctors and, you know, is it hormone restoration? Is it hormone replacement? And we're like, Ugh. you know, that's again, getting like stuck in the weeds for no good reason. But then someone said, if you think about it, what you started out with, Melissa, was thinking of your cycle in your 20s, thinking of menage happening and 
you know, what does the cycle represent? It's so much more than fertility and menstruation. If a woman was, let's say, 30 years old and she had for some reason to have her ovaries removed due to disease, and she says, I never want to have kids, I'm done, like I, I never was, or, you know, maybe she's in a relationship that was the decision they made, she would still be offered HRT. Why? Because it's regulating our bone remodeling. It's regulating our heart muscle. It's regulating our microbiome. There's so many things that hormones are doing for us far beyond this fertility picture. And so why when a woman suddenly ages into a point where fertility is off the table or the ovaries couldn't maintain a pregnancy in the uterus to begin with, why are we not still seeing that these hormones are really relevant to her health, right? Why are we not tying together the fact that we tie men in our mid-50s for heart disease when before we never had heart disease as women? Why are we the ones with osteoporosis? How many osteoporotic men do you see walking around with a hunched back? You don't, right? How much of the dementia cases, three to one women to men? So we're frustrated because yes, all the diet, lifestyle, nutrition, supplements, sleep, stress, physical movement, everything else should be your focus. But at the end of the day, we cannot deny the reality that those hormones were relevant to our health when we were younger. They are just as relevant to our health as we age. And so it's super important that we maintain the hormonal milieu that maintained our entire metabolic health. And that's why, you know, we're just trying to kind of punch through some of the bad messaging that's out there right now in HRT. You don't have to make a decision between the patriarchy and feminism. You don't have to. It's not relevant. You know, this is about, I don't want to get dementia. I don't want to have osteoporosis. I don't want to. And I think we've been led to believe that these are like family, you know, they run in my family, right? Oh, my mom had osteoporosis. I'm like, your mom also didn't have estrogen. You know, stop kind of tattooing yourself with this disease risk simply because the generations before you had it. They didn't have HRT. We do. So it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. So tell us about HRT. What do we need to know? <laughs> well, what is it? <laughs> that's a broad subject. What? What? Can you be a little bit more specific? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you've basically spoken to the philosophy, right? Why we would choose that and what the benefits would be beyond this life phase of fertility, et cetera. What is the application of it? I, I know that it's been being used for a few decades, but it is probably kind of going through a little bit of a shift in approach and perspective nowadays. I'm 42 years old and my cycle is really starting to change. I heard you guys mention possibly some people at least need to start thinking about it in their early 40s. What would you say to me? I'm your brand new client. Well, we would evaluate like you, we would, we would do some testing on you and find out your goals and see what symptoms you have. But I, let, let me just dial back symptoms. As it stands today, even in the more enlightened kind of holistic and functional medicine crowd, you get HRT if you had symptoms. And for the most part, like being a little moody is not really a symptom like hot flashes and osteoporosis, which doesn't really even get diagnosed till about 65 after a woman's been, has had no estrogen for 10 plus years. So, so it's really predicated on symptoms. We try to really distance from symptoms. Of course, we want HRT to take care of symptoms, right? That's, that's like baseline, absolute baseline. Um, but we want women to um, understand the role that it plays in their vitality, their, their lifelong vitality. And we connect it to things beyond symptoms. So 
To that end, we would ask you to identify your goals. What are your goals for HRT? Because it takes a very little bit of estrogen to suppress a hot flash. And if that's your goal, okay. But do you understand that you're not going to be able to repair blood vessels, that you're not going to be able to kind of stimulate bone, that you may not be able to able to clear tau protein? So the problem is a lot of women will say, come to us. I think I've had several today. How do I find a doctor who thinks like you? I'm like, okay, well, what is HRT? Like, what is it? There's so many different things that you can choose from. We have to find out what your goals are first. And most people do have the goal of, well, no, I don't, I don't just want to take care of symptoms. I do want to have vitality in my seventies, eighties, God willing, nineties like that. Right. And yes, you can stay on it <laughs> for that long. That's yeah. a whole other subject. But, um, and then we teach them about the different, you know, kind of methods. Yeah. I would say one correction, Melissa, it's not been used for a few decades. It was used in the early 1900s. We're, we're over a century into HRT oh, wow. years. And this is something that has also gotten kind of lost in the ether. I mean, in the early 1900s, the American Heart Association, American Academy of um, Physicians, they all saw HRT as necessary for the prevention of chronic diseases in women. This is not new. And yet, because of some very bungled studies, and unfortunately, the commercialization of hormones. We used to use natural hormones. Then big pharma entered the ring, and we found out we could profit from hormones. And then we commercialized hormones. But they weren't really hormones. They were synthetic because they were easily to produce in a lab. And then we got all these bad outcomes from these hormones, in air quotes, right? And then we said, oh, my God, actually, hormones are bad. And so we've had this huge arc um, of the approach to it be very much muddied. And so this is why women are so confused and think that it's something new. And Maria and I are like, newsflash, it's not new. But if you really wanted to go back, I mean, traditional Chinese medicine thousands of years ago used to extract estrogen from the urine of a stable woman and give it to the woman who had PMDD. Okay. So this no. is not new. And this is why we get really frustrated. I think women think like you could walk in to a HRT store and find HRT in the shelf. And it's going to look like a bottle of Advil and we're all going to pull it off and we all just take it. Could not be further from the truth. You know, technically birth control is a form of HRT. You know, IUDs are a form of HRT for some doctors. Pellets are a form of HRT. Patches, creams, injections, lozenges. I mean, there's this massive spectrum and what each type of HRT is capable of doing. That's the issue. Because if it's what you're being given is not capable of meeting the needs that you have elucidated, then we have a problem. And that's where most women sit right now is they have this desire to improve their health span, but they're given HRT that is not capable of it. Or they're told you don't have any symptoms. It's not important. Well, what's the symptom of tau proteins building up in the brain? I would love to know. What is the symptom of my lipids being off? What should I look for? How do I know? You can know, right? It, these are things that unfortunately we find out when they're way too late. And Maria and I, you know, our, our most heartbreaking clients are the ones who either cycled straight through to like 57, 59 with some cycling. So they were told they were never menopausal or they didn't have any symptoms. You know, they're the lean yogi who doesn't have any body issues and everything seems fine. And then they hit 60 and the bottom falls out. And they come to us sobbing. I am osteoporotic. I've got heart disease. I've got all these things happening. 
what can I do? And no one wants to say, fire your doctor, but that's what you got to do. This person was not looking out for your health span. They were just trying to make sure that you didn't come into their office complaining. And that's truly how HRT is applied today. It's really just symptom suppression, get out of my office. Super enlightening. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is very enlightening. So from the safety perspective, because that is one of the concerns that people have, and like you said, a lot of this bad press over the, the last few decades contributed to that misunderstanding, but do we have enough data to suggest that it is safe? And what are the forms? You know, you, like you said, there's, there's so many different things that we could consider HRT, but has it moved away from the synthetic version that you were talking about that the industry concluded was bad? For the most part, I mean, yes. For, for that We still see it get given out. We do. We yeah. had someone that was given prem phase, which kind of blew our minds. But but so, yeah. listen, Dana, here's the thing. Like, this is something that just I, I've been thinking of lately. Like, bioidentical is baseline. Like, that's what we all want bioidentical hormones. And for the most part, most women are given bioidentical hormones. Yes, Premarin is still around. Yes, PremPro is still around. But it's not used that much. So we yeah. want bioidentical, but that's like, that's just literally your foot in the door. That's bare minimum. Then like, well, how do we do it? What level do we get you at? Do we bring back a period or not? Um, there are reasons to do that for sure. Yeah. D different delivery vehicles, again, are capable of different things and have different consequences. So you can get bioidentical estradiol. That's a pill. And everyone's like, but I'm taking estradiol. Yep. And but oral estradiol. <laughs> and I'm doing the right thing. And I'm doing the right thing because yeah. it's bioidentical. I'm like, yeah, not really. <laughs> yeah, everyone should be. Like anyone not taking bioidentical is really being screwed by their doctor, to be honest. But you take anything orally, it has first pass digestion through the liver. And estradiol behaves differently when it goes through the liver. So we would say oral estradiol is probably not your best option, even if it's bioidentical, right? So then it's, again, is it static dosing? Is it dosing to mimic the cycle? Do we take progesterone all the time? A lot of women in this phase of life develop sleep problems. Progesterone can, for many women, be super helpful for sleep. Doctors will hand you a progesterone pill, tell you to take it all month. They don't tell you that doing that may dysregulate your uterus. And you might have breakthrough bleeding five, six times that month, right? Or they might not tell you that actually daily progesterone could actually mess up your cognition and result in accumulation of brain plaques. So the form, the delivery mechanism, the timing, the dosing amounts, what are the goals? Sadly, the standard of care in the United States right now is not to test a woman to ever look at her hormone levels. Once she hits menopause, you could slap a patch on her and say, you've got HRT. But is that patch giving you hormone levels that actually regulate bone remodeling or is it just getting rid of that hot flash? So this is why understanding what a woman's goals are. And even when she says, yes, I want health span improvement. Okay. But what are you willing to do for that? Because each type of HRT comes with different responsibilities and you quickly find out that some women are like, oh, well, not that. And so then we have to dial it. And is there clinical evidence? Yeah. We've got doctors who've been doing this for decades of, you know, some of the most, what would be considered like way out there, you know, crazy type of HRT. That HRT is mimicking the hormonal cycle of our youth. So calling it crazy and dangerous and untested is, is pretty difficult. But, you know, we can't do a lot of human studies simply because everything that's been done is usually synthetics against a control. 
right? And so if you wanted to do physiologic hormones, do you actually not give the control group hormones? You know that it may end up with heart disease for them. You know it may end up with uh, loss of bone mass and density. So it's difficult to design human trials unless we're going to take two different forms of bioidentical hormones in different regimens, different dosing, different vehicles of delivery and compare them against each other. And that study right now is out for funding, uh, presenting to the NIH in the next few months. So it's coming, but it's like, it could be a decade before we ever ship the standard of care. Are we really willing to have yet another generation of women go without hormones simply because we don't have a study to back it up right now? Maria and I were just, someone said something about, um, oh, I was told that if I had high estradiol, I'd get breast cancer. And I thought, well, I don't know if you've ever been pregnant, if you measured your estradiol, it was like three, four, five, 10,000 picograms per milliliter, whereas during their cycle, it might have been like 150, 350, 400 picograms. Did we all end up with breast cancer and death out of pregnancy? No, right? So uh, the messaging is just so messed up right now. And that's where we're trying to do our best, but at the end of the day, ladies, you just need to continue your hormones if you want to continue your health span. And why is that such a, why is there such a um, sense of confusion within the medical community? And there's a lot, sounds like there's a lot of misinformation uh, happening. What should women be looking for in a primary care physician or in a doctor to lead them through this season of life? Misinformation stems primarily from the 2002 Women's Health Initiative Studies Right. So they studied synthetic hormones. So like horse urine um, estrogen and it's called conjugated equine estrogen. And they studied um, a terrible progestin, medroxyprogesterone acetate. And interestingly enough, when you really look at the studies, it's the estrogen, even though it was from horse urine, wasn't really the culprit. It was really the progestin. Right. And so now what happens was that was considered hormones right? And now that's extrapolated out to like hormones are bad, right? So bioidentical estradiol and natural micronized progesterone, well, that was studied. Well, no, it wasn't. (laughs) It got grouped together. So that's really what it stems from. And it's pretty much as entrenched as the whole kind of high cholesterol is bad for you. So yeah, that's the reason why. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we had medical schools were required by governmental agencies to pull this education from medical curriculums back in 2002. So you've got 21 years of medical education that is telling them it's bad, not just not teaching them, literally telling them it's bad and it's dangerous. Even the WHA authors themselves have walked back a lot of these things. Just this last week, we had a great, brave group of physicians who came out and said, enough enough. Whoever keeps batting around this WHI, it needs to end. And we're going to go and we're going to show you why. It wasn't just the type of hormones. It was the route they gave them. These women were in their 60s. They were more than 10 years past menopause. You smoke. Yeah, they were unhealthy. They had diabetes, et cetera. And it's not so much that starting HRT 10 years past menopause is a problem. It's that what happens from the perimenopausal transition onward we are seeing these changes. You're seeing endothelial changes at the vascular level. You're seeing the changes of positing protein. You're seeing the degradation of our bones, et cetera. So it's not that starting HRT 60 years old is dangerous. It's that if you are not a healthy host, 
you need to take precautions. And so that goes back to the whole diet and lifestyle issue that Maria and I keep hammering is that HRT is magical. It's not the magic pill because it has to go into a healthy vessel. And so ladies, work on the things that you can work on and then educate yourself on HRT. Understand what are your options. Do you need it covered by insurance? That's going to change what your choices are. Can you afford cash? That's going to change your choices too. Can Do you want to have a period, et cetera? All of these things play into it. So there's no single answer. What is HRT or what HRT should I take? Which means finding a doctor who is trained on it, going to be hard, but many of the like anti-aging crowd seems to have a better handle on it than many of the conventional. Like we all love our OBGYN and if they delivered our babies, we have this like unique affinity towards them. They're not your HRT doc, period doc. And then we also have medical societies that dictate what these doctors must give as HRT options. So that's going to be self-limiting. And then we have, unfortunately, uh, infrastructure right now of insurance companies reporting doctors to medical licensing boards if they are prescribing something outside the standard of care. And right now, the standard of care in the United States is you get HRT if you have really bad hot flashes and you have established osteoporosis. Outside of that, it's outside of the standard of care. Good luck. Well, that's the problem. So you mentioned that some of the HRT options could potentially bring back or prolong a menstrual cycle. And I'm curious your thoughts on birth control. In the study that I've done over the years, there's a lot related to the detrimental effects of women not ovulating for years and years. And I'm just curious what your thoughts are on on birth control in general, but how it relates to this transition to perimenopause and the hormonal shifts that occur. Well, yeah, it's a great, great to put it in the context of midlife. So um, medical societies, American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists tell women that they can safely and enthusiastically stay on their birth control up and through menopause up to age 55. Okay. So the average age of menopause is 51. Some women like me, they were 47. We have some clients who are 56, (laughs) amazingly 57. It completely disconnects you from your transitional years. And you have nothing to judge because you're getting that like withdrawal bleed, right? So, wow, I'm regular, I'm regular, I'm regular. And you probably do have some symptoms. So women that are tuned in will be able to perceive those symptoms. But then it does something to receptors. So in the conversation around hormones, receptors are never even spoken about. So we have two main receptors. There are others, but it's, you know, just two main receptors. And we have progesterone receptors, estrogen receptors. They just literally get flattened. They become kind of dysfunctional. They can be brought back. And then we have birth control. If it's oral, right, There's it increases risk of blood clots. Um, it can kind of set up a bad environment in the gut. We've got a woman now who's maybe she's putting on weight and she's frustrated and she's in her early fifties and she's on birth control. She needs a lot of help. She needs a lot of help. She needs yeah. to work on her gut. She needs to understand her HRT choices. You got to come off that birth control eventually. Like you cannot stay on it forever. So why are we going to do it at 55? There's a really, really good chance that you've been menopausal for four years at that point. Yeah. Right. And you've denied yourself the opportunity for real hormones. Birth control is not real hormones. Yeah. We have been getting a lot more ladies in their 
mid forties, early forties. And we got it. You know, you're, you're at a stage of life. You're like my kids, you know, my youngest maybe is 10. I'm, I, I don't want to do this again. Is there a risk of getting pregnant? Absolutely not because of HRT, simply because your ovaries kind of have these last gas yep. where they're going to chuck out an egg here and there. Right. Um, and so essentially this suppression of the endocrine cycle, this disconnection of the brain to our sexual organs because of synthetics is incredibly dangerous because you are dysregulating now all of your opportunities to have a normal cycle. And I get it. I was one of those. I was put on the birth control pill at 12 and a half. Okay. I had such violent periods that I would be found passed out in my shower, completely anemic and unable to go to school for a couple of days each month. That was my normal. I get it. I get why my, my parents did that. But why was that happening to me? Right? Like, did we ever want to address why was I passing golf ball size clots of blood and passing out? That was not normal, right? And something should have been done. Um, so we see the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. And if you are going to do something that essentially hijacks your body's ability to experience that menstrual cycle, you are removing a vital sign from your life and it is going to be detrimental to your health, period, dot. So how do we address the risk of pregnancy? Your generation has a heck of a lot more tools than Maria and I did. Right. Whether it's the Daisy Tracker, Anito, you know, understanding fertility awareness method, there's the Marquette method. There's so many things out there. And to us, how cool to be that in tune with your body. Like, don't see this as a drag. Look at this as an incredible opportunity to sort of be the maestro of your incredible hormonal orchestra. Are there ways to look like, is your AMH, your anti-Mullerian hormone, what do you have as an ovarian reserve of eggs? You might still be cycling regularly, but there are no eggs in the tank, right? your risk of pregnancy then is different. And so there are ways to pursue getting at what's really going on, what your real risks are. And then there's really good ways to manage it a hell of a lot better than synthetic hormones. So that I would say for the younger perimenopausal crowd. Now, Maria and I have chosen to follow uh, a, a version of HRT that brings back a period. Maria's without uterus, so she doesn't have to deal with it. But even without her uterus, she's choosing to mimic that cycle that we had when we were younger. I'm choosing the same. I still have a uterus. So guess what? At 53, I still get a monthly bleed. Is it anything like my 12 and a half year old self? No, it's nothing like that because it's a managed bleed controlled by proper dosing with a skilled HRT provider who knows exactly what I need in order to maintain just a three-day easy cycle. So, you know, women get wrapped up in kind of the cycle of their youth. We say, well, that was a vital sign. If your blood pressure were high, we would find out as to why. If your periods are heavy, you might want to find out why, right? And so look at the cycle that way and then know that if you have a healthy uterus, it actually retains its health when we continue to let it cycle. And, you know, Brie and I joked this weekend when we were up with our ladies on retreat, you know, someone said, Kristen, when you're 60 and you go into a doctor and they say, when was your last cycle? I'm like, how cool is it going to be like... Sunday. It was you know, <laughs> looking like, is she punking me? Like, what is it? So funny. Uh, we have clients who are bleeding in their 70s. Okay. We have a provider whose mother is 92 and still cycling. Okay. So this is wow. this is our biological imperative. It is a vital sign. And so we wish we could go back, completely wipe out sex education, teach girls about their period, teach them that it's their superpower. Teach them how cool it is. It's not all about fertility. It's manageable when it comes to fertility, but it's truly talking to you about your whole body health. 
That's huge. I, I feel just like got once yeah, shivers. Body chills. <laughs> <laughs> once I think it was probably there there was a bit of an onset of education around women's hormonal health, at least from my vantage point, probably five or ten years ago. And I started reading a lot about my period and I've been off birth control now for more than 10 or 12 years. And I, after going without a period for a few years, now that I have a period, I'm so grateful when it shows up and it throws off my whole month if something's wrong with it. I'm like, it's late. I don't know what's going on. And when it comes, I'm so grateful. Yeah. And I, it's a time of rest for me and reflection. Yeah. I tend to really cycle through what am I shedding this month emotionally, psychologically, yeah. that's not serving me. And it's a time to pause and reset. And so for from my vantage point, I'm actually kind of excited that it might be a good thing to continue doing that because in a way it's a very grounding thing that for me as a mm -hmm. female, I feel like I have unique access to something that really grounds and roots me in a monthly cycle. And it's such a, a beautiful touch point for me to um, move through life with. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I have one daughter-in-law, soon to have another daughter-in-law and, you know, I have to be really careful and uh, entering that space. But, you know, your generation does have the opportunity to really take your health differently than we did. We were just given things to shut it down. And we're paying the price for that, unfortunately, today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask a question that is somewhat of a philosophical question and curious your thoughts. So I'm all in on what you're describing. And I also can't help but wonder what is the evolutionary purpose of menopause? Why is the female body going through something very different than the male body goes through? You, you referenced that earlier in the conversation that we see different onset of these diseases or deteriorations in the female body versus the male body because of this loss of hormones. So why does that exist in the first place? And I know you can't really answer that in in a true sense, but what is your what do you what do you think? <laughs> well, have you have you heard of the grandmother hypothesis? I have. Okay. The, with the whales? Yeah. Um well just the grandmother. Oh, no, even with humans. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, just like the grandmothers would be around to help their children with their children's children. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the study yeah. that I read was about whales, that they, they observed that it was actually the grandmothers that taught the children whales where to hunt right. and how where to and how to migrate and do all of these things. Well, the mothers were off kind of getting, you know, getting laid essentially. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you think about it though, like whether it's the grandmother hypothesis or whatever, we are aging. The body is aging, right? Even if I could, should I have a child at sixty-five? Probably not. A, that child would be abandoned in its youth when I finally die, maybe 15, 20 years later, whatever. Um, so that's not good for society to have children yeah. without their parents. Um, you know, my body shouldn't be put through. I mean, pregnancy is violent, let's be honest. And should my 65, 70-year-old body be put through that? Probably not. Are we the wise women around the fire that everyone should come and seek counsel? Do we have a role at the table? Absolutely. But, you know, fertility is a cycle. It's, it, when women get into this, why aren't we allowed to have this menstrual cycle and fertility continue and menopause is kind of biological imperative in the 50s and 60s? I say, well, why aren't we having eight-year-olds get pregnant? Like, you, we can do it on both ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah. If, if mm -hmm. this fertility gave us this meaning and had some sort of evolutionary reference point to our value then every woman of every age should be able to get pregnant. It's not our only value. 
right? right. There is a there's a peak time to have children. And that's what's best for society. We have a lot of voices right now who are saying, oh, um, women aren't the women and whales aren't the only ones who have menopause. Okay, fun fact. Maybe there's a certain type of monkey, but beyond that, yes, we are the only ones who have menopause. So I'm gonna like die on that hill. And then we have the whole people say, well, we didn't used to live that long. True. We didn't used to live that long. Like, I don't know what yeah, evolutionary charts these people and these women on these blogs that are bitching about the patriarchy and saying that, you know, it's not because we're aging. Yes, it is because we're aging. If you look at the average lifespan in the early 1900s to today, we're living a hell of a lot longer. Right. And so that's great. That's modern medicine. We have antibiotics now. We have roofs over our head. So there are reasons why and realities that, yes, we are living longer. So that's a piece of it. But then it's like, okay, but why did the ovaries shut down? Well, again, it goes to should we as a society have 85 year old mothers of 10 year olds? No, we shouldn't. So whether you want to call it the grandmother hypothesis or any of those other things, I mean, it's just, it makes sense. It's why we don't let eight year olds have babies either. This is a time of life where it's like, We've earned these wrinkles. We have earned this knowledge. We have earned the give no fucks attitude. And that should be valued by society. We can now be women who stand into our presence and speak firmly and whatnot. We can be women who still love our traditional partners and want to be taken care of by them and everything else. That doesn't make us anti-woman. But unfortunately, menopause now keeps getting thrown into those discussions. We're like, look, it's just the ovaries are done. That's all this is. I love that. Thank you for indulging that question. I think it's, I think it is something that people wonder about. And if you're, and if you're trying to take a more natural approach, it's a question that comes up. Should I be messing with the end of my cycle? Should I be messing with this transition? Kristen, what's the um, ancestral natural approach to menopause? Death. (laughs) It's death. (laughs) Great. So you yeah. offer a fine alternative. <laughs> right. And, and you know, we, it's funny because the same people who are saying, uh, I'm not going to go with hormones, I'm going to be natural, are also getting Botox and fake tits. And now the big thing is peptide therapy and all of these things. Find me one person who's 65 years old, who's not on a single prescription medication, who's not taking any supplements, who has nothing that they have relied on conventional or alternative or modern medicine in some way to continue a certain quality of life that they felt they had in their 40s and they don't want to let go of. Find me one person, right? There isn't any. And so we all have different methods of pursuing what makes us feel the best, whether that's looking the best or not. And nobody should feel shame in that. Even the men who live to 100 have fewer diseases than the women who do. So it's this loss of hormones. Why not extend that hormonal milieu without the ovarian risk of having a child? Um, and maintain your health. Don't fear it. That's the big thing. I think that Marie and I get sad is that there is this fear. I mean, we're because we're seeing the coaching messaging. It used to be like the mid forties are like I'm in perimenopause. Now I'm an expert. Now it's like I'm forty. I'm in perimenopause and I'm an expert. And you see this like thirty five. Now the thirties are like freaking out. Like I am not going to age. Yes, sweetheart, you are going to age. There is absolutely no stopping that train. But like, why does it have to suck? Yeah. You know, why do we have to put this spin on it? That I mean, again, a whole other I would go back to my 30s. So that could be a whole right? other podcast, yeah. just ageism and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 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 Well, that's yeah. the point of our podcast. So <laughs> it's kind of perfect. 
But look at that. Aging is a privilege, right? It's a privilege. So you should yes. be damn thankful that you get to turn from 30 to 55. It's a cool thing. Well, thank you both so much. We have been schooled. Yes. It's, uh, likely we'll have to bring you back for another episode sometime. And I think there'll probably be lots of follow-up questions too. Well, we, to we, all we of have the... what will hopefully be a groundbreaking book coming out in, um, I would say, under a year now. You know, next next fall. Okay. September. Yep, September yep. of 2024. Yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do is teach women that whole thing, right? Like, what were our hormones when we were younger? What's the shift that happens in Perry? What are we in control of? What are the big rocks that we have as our own levers? Not everyone wants to do HRT, and that's perfectly fine. Just understand the choice you're making. That's all we say, right? And then if you do want to do HRT, we're going to give you the download, but we're also going to make sure it's not scary. We're going to explain that it's been used for thousands of years and you know, why the shift when we decided to commercialize it and all that stuff. So we're doing our best um, to kind of put it out there because no one wants to talk about it. And the doctor or the people who get published are usually doctors or licensed prescribers who are required to kind of toe the line. And we're not beholden to any message. So we're going to talk out of school. So what do you offer now? I know you have the Mastering Midlife Mayhem program. Is that something that is doors open all the time? Yep. Does it run in cohorts? How can people find you? That, How can they... that is open all the time, right? So we, okay. Now we finally have a great staff, <laughs> lots of support. Mm-hmm. <laughs> great. What ago. is the program? Yeah. What, what is it? Yeah. Tell us what the program oh, is certainly. for anyone that might be interested. Certainly. Yeah. So um, it is a six month program. We get down to business in the first six to eight weeks is where you learn um, about your hormone choices, about what your hormones do, like way beyond just anything you can find in a blog. Um, we do some testing. We do sex hormone testing, both the Dutch test, so that's urine, so we get to see how hormones behave. And then for hormone levels, or we say volume, we do blood work as well. Um, we do gut health testing. Um, and then the women have basically three sessions with us or mem- members of our team. Um, and then for women that want to, and I would say, I would say hundred percent want to not, not necessarily a hundred percent already, but even so that's fine. hundred yeah. percent want to do HRT. And then we pair them with uh, a physician, um, that we have personally vetted at least once we have a zoom meeting. Um, we get their philosophy, how they'll work with women, um, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, Maria, just one clarification. 100% of the women want to do HRT once they're done with our program. True. We have plenty of women who join who are like, ah, I'm not going to do it. And then at the end, they're the ones who are like, oh my God, give it to me now. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So you don't have to want HRT to go through the program and we don't judge. You know, our attitude is literally whatever works best for you. And we just had a client, was it Maria yesterday, who was younger. Um, and it's like, I'm really concerned about the birth control aspect. I could do an IUD, right, Maria, with uh, no, was, where the options yeah, she was given or what was it? Yeah, it was like um, birth control for to, was it a mini pill? progestin, pro- progestin components yeah. to kind of protect your uterus and estradiol, I think, patch. And and so just to, just to show like we're, we don't think that's great, but we acknowledge yeah, she's not going to track her cycle and she's a busy mom and she's got two kids and you know what birth control, it's not going to kill you and you can change. So like we do orbit in reality, yeah. right? We're not going to press them into anything that they're not feeling good about. And we help them just kind of work through, you know, all of the ifs ends, things like that. So yeah. 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 That sounds Amazing. so incredibly helpful. Thank you for making such a course. 
Thank you. This would be well suited to women that are, would you say, a specific age range or experiencing certain. I know, I know, you guys don't focus on symptoms. So, what would what would you say would be the ideal person well, that just, should just to be clarify, in this program? We do because, like, nobody nobody should suffer, right? So, we do focus on symptoms, but we we focus on symptoms plus. Like, we go beyond just symptoms. Okay, um, I would say um, forty to and up earlier than 40 if a woman is experiencing like premature menopause for sure then you could literally be 20 okay and Amazing. Women can well we'll share that find you online at wise and well correct yes mm-hmm. yes great we'll share links to all of that thank you ladies so much for sharing your wisdom with us today thanks for allowing <laughs> yes. us to speak freely Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So helpful. So enlightening. Thank you so much for listening to This Is Aging. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others and leave a rating and review for us in iTunes or Spotify. You can also subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on all the social platforms at This Is Aging. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Please note the information shared in this episode is for educational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice or consultation with a healthcare professional. In this episode, we may share links and references to products and services that may enable us to receive compensation from referrals or sales. This is Aging only recommends products and services that we use, love, and believe will be helpful to you.